All right, I am so excited because I have my first guest on the podcast today. Welcome to Cold-Blooded Hothead. I am your host, Tyler Hemphill. This is episode seven. And today we have a 2016 presidential candidate, 2018 California governor candidate, and a 2020 Republican primary candidate against Donald Trump, Zoltan Ishtvan. And so what's so interesting about this guy is he started an entire movement called transhumanism. And you're probably like, what in the fudge is transhumanism? Well, let me tell you. Okay, transhumanism is a philosophical movement embracing science and technology to radically expand our capabilities as human beings. And that's pretty much as simple as it gets. Um, I came across Zoltan on Twitter uh, within the last, I don't know, year year or so. Uh, my boy, Andrew Yang, and I can call him my boy, okay? I can call him my boy because I've met him twice. <laughs> I have two different pictures with him. Wait, I've met him three times. I don't even know. We're pretty much bros. You understand me? I got like 20 people to caucus for him. Got a sticker on the back of my phone that's been there for almost almost a year and a half now. That's that's brand loyalty, okay? Yang's my boy. But anyway, he retweeted Zoltan because he uh, supports Yang's UBI policy. And I was like, a Republican candidate supporting a UBI? What? <laughs> What's going on? So I had to check it out. And he's a very interesting guy to say the least. Okay, we cover a pretty wide variety of topics, mostly centered around transhumanism, so that science and technology area, uh, what's going on right now in technology. Uh, you know, he has a chip implanted in his hand, so technically he's a cyborg, which is... What? Those are a thing now? Yeah. And we talk... Oh, jeez. We, we kind of talk about him running for office a little bit, um, what he's excited about in technology. We talk a little bit about religion and parties and that kind of shit. Really fun stuff. Um, don't want you to miss it. So, without further ado, I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, Zoltan Ishvan. You did, like, over a year, almost two years of footage for that, right? You know, actually, it's almost five years in the making and probably three years worth of footage. Uh, though the campaign itself was uh, only was over two years, but just about two years. But we also brought in a lot of early footage and back footage. And wow, you know, we started filming in 2015 and it just came out like a few weeks ago. So mm -hmm. it's been a long, long ride. Yeah. So in 2016, you ran as a third party candidate. And also in 2018, you ran for governor of California. And I saw that you received around 14,000 votes, so about 0.2%. That's that's somewhere spreading that. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's tough in California because I ran as a libertarian. There's just a very small libertarian, um, I guess, group. But, you know, uh, that said, at least, uh, you know, I, uh, we did generate a lot of media attention and we got a lot of, in, you know, interesting feedback, I think, on the campaign. But ultimately, man, it's if you're not a Democrat in California, um, you know, you're, you're just not doing very well. It's very hard to even run as a Republican in California. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And so 
and that's why I was I was kind of confused. So I saw so actually before we get into that, and I'm gonna I did a little video before this explaining a little bit about transhumanism and who you are and stuff like that. But uh, could you give a quick elevator pitch on exactly what transhumanism is and what your 2016 campaign for presidency was about? Sure. Um, transhumanism is a social movement, an international social movement. Now, really many millions of people that want to use science and technology to radically modify the human body and also modify the human experience. Anything from exoskeleton suits to brain implants to genetic editing where you grow a third eyeball or something of that nature in the back of your head. I mean, it's radical technology and science, but it's generally applied to becoming more than human. Mm -hmm. And all of these things are feasible, like they're, they're in the works in science, correct? Yeah, most of them are at least being tested. Some have already been, you know, like brain implants. You know, Elon Musk has a company called Neuralink, and he's, uh, you know, he's talking about human trials this year. But there's already been trials on different types of brain implants and stuff. I think there's like 80,000 people around the world with some type of brain implants, uh, mostly to treat medical disease. However, um, you know, Elon Musk wants to do it in, a, in terms of, uh, you know, connect your brain to the cloud, Google Maps, uh, you know, download music into your head. And, and it's not just him. I mean, there, there's, you know, probably five, ten other companies that are uh, working on this kind of thing directly now in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so, so you ran for, the, are you running for 2020 president as well? Or did you, because I, I know you ran against Trump in the primary for the Republican Party, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not big on parties, really. I'm, I'm a science and technology guy, and that's my emphasis. But uh, it seemed like an interesting way to get some attention to the science and technology cause, because Republicans typically don't like science and technology too much. Mm -hmm. So I ran in the primaries against Trump. Uh, I've since suspended my campaign a few months back. Um, I think we got sixth overall in the primaries. Uh, I'm not sure of the amount of votes, but that's what place we're going to get. So, um, you know, we got a, a quite a bit of national attention and quite a few Republicans learned about transhumanism as a result, because we were on a number of major state ballots. But, um, you know, in terms of actual defeating Trump, uh, and we weren't close. That was never the goal, because that, that's just pretty much an impossibility. Our real goal was to try to get conservatives to think more about science and technology you know liberals are pretty open to science and technology they don't really need to be <laughs> introduced to it but uh, right. i think a lot of conservatives and republicans were hearing about transhumanism for the very first uh time but you know i want to say just your your audience doesn't think i'm some hard-nosed republican i'll probably run democrat um next time around too it, it's not for me about parties it's about um, bringing science and technology to the world and doing it in a way that uh, emphasizes humanitarian values and, and the greater good of the nation. Yeah, no, see, that makes sense because I just just to be sure, I, I wanted to make sure that and if anything changed since 2016, let me know. But I checked uh, on the issues website and, you know, I see that you support the abortion rights, want to legalize marijuana, free education, K through 12 um, and then college as well. And uh, with secular views. And I was like, well, there's no way that's a Republican Party candidate. So it was to uh, reach a new demographic to spread transhumanism. Hey, but that said, you know, I got to be honest, uh, I think, you know, Trump's scaring quite a few Republicans, especially younger ones are in the middle of the country. And there are plenty of conservatives out there who are, you know, like even Meg Whitman, who ran as a Republican for governor in California and almost almost nabbed it. Uh, you know, she was um, uh, pro-choice. And so you can you can be conservative 
you know, for me, I, I do, as an entrepreneur, I've had numerous businesses, I actually lean somewhat conservative when it comes to fiscal matters. Um, however, when it comes to, you know, uh, I guess social matters, I'm completely libertarian or liberal, meaning that anything goes, people can do whatever they want to do, and they should have that right. But, you know, I do, I, I do have a sense of somewhat conservative uh, fiscal policy. That said, I still support a basic income a universal basic income. And I actually think plenty of other conservatives are starting to come around that that's not, that's a bipartisan issue. We're trying to make our country and our, you know, people have more goods, more access to resources and things like that. So whatever way we can do that in the most efficient manner is what I think is, is best. But so I, I just, I put that out there because I think there's, there is an emerging group of conservatives out there that are not so close-minded when it comes to socially uh, challenging views like pro-choice or you know other different things like that. They may be uh, liberal in that sense. They just happen to be still uh, conservative in some of their financial positions. Mm -hmm. uh, and this doesn't have anything to do with technology and science really, but can I ask you, why do you think that conservatives have such a hard time with these social progressive policies? I mean, do you think Christianity or religion is the biggest part of it on the right, or what? How, why do you think that is? Well, I think you nailed. It. I think Christianity and religion is the biggest part of it. I think a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of traditional Republicans are brought up with the idea of God from a very early age. You know, age one, two, they're baptized, or if they're not baptized, they were then taught about. It. They went to religious school, and you know, um, it's very hard to escape that mentality that everything you do is overlooked by a big, great person in the sky who's watching out for you. And then, you know, that, 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 that emphasis, that cultural position then kind of spreads like it's tentacles all over so that you think everything, whether it's an abortion issue, whether it's a medical issue, whether it even becomes a financial issue, you start thinking in terms of the Bible and in terms of a Judeo-Christian framework. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I'm a very secular person I think mm -hmm. that's uh, that's bad. I think the only way to really approach culture is through the scientific method. We should be testing what's best for humanity. We should be operating off that. And if we're rational about it, then we'll go that way. Now, and I'm, it, it, what's interesting is the scientific method isn't going to be conservative or liberal. It's just going to be what makes most sense for getting the greatest good out of humanity itself for the most amount of people. Like I'm, I'm all about. I want to get rid of the starving children. I want to make it so nobody's homeless. I mean, there are policies out there that have nothing to do with, you know, being liberal or conservative. They're just based on what's the most scientific and rational method we can do to achieve those things. And I think that's really where, uh, you know, a lot of my ideas come into play. But, you know, when it comes, people are politicizing everything. So they sort of forget that science and technology is the way forward. And you know, if you look at why humanity has actually started to achieve all the things it has in the last century or century and a half, it's because of science and technology. We should put more faith into it instead of some, you know, 2,000, 5,000 year old religion. You know, people can still be religious, but at least incorporate the science into their religion, you know, the, the 21st modern day theory into their religion. Right. And I think a big reason why people aren't doing that is that, you know, ultimately it comes down to if they are right and and when we die, they are the ones who are going to go to heaven and, you know, people like maybe like us are not going to be so fortunate. So it comes down to um, where it, it just it's that secure feeling. But uh, that this is why transhumanism is so interesting, because if it gets to a point to where we can extend that and then maybe even live forever. 
Well, I mean, that's the main thing is most transhumanists are not religious by nature because mm -hmm. they're they've kind of replaced uh, that sense of needing something out there with science and technology and they can make tools with their hands and those tools can make it so you don't have to die, which is the number one goal of transhumanism is to use science and technology to overcome death. But, you know, it gets even weirder than that. And sometimes I talk about these ideas like quantum archaeology, where, you know, at some point here in the hundred years in the future, probably in 10, 15 years, we're already going to be able to 3D bioprint entire human beings out. Within 20 or that 30 years, crazy. we'll be able to 3D bioprint a human being out and make it alive uh, just by, you know, completely. We can already, like, come close to printing hearts and things like that. But the point is, at some point in the future, we might, through even reverse engineering of incredibly sophisticated computers, uh, be able to, like, either go back in time or reconstruct what the, what the reality used to be like just through reverse engineering techniques. And the point is that we can then 3D bioprint like your great, great, great grandfather, or we can 3D bioprint Jesus, or we can 3D bioprint, <laughs> um, you know, uh, George Washington and ask him what he thinks of the play Hamilton. I mean, there's all these great things you can do with these radical ideas. They're very challenging from a cultural and religious point of view, because you're talking about almost the power of like God in a way to, to, to do these things, give life and death. But what people don't realize is that these technologies are almost certainly coming they, it may take 50 years, it may take 200 years, but there's no question at some point in the future that you mm -hmm. would have a very great chance if you could live long enough to meet your, you know, a, a great grandparent from a thousand years ago, just because of the way we can do things. And, um, you know, whether that's good or bad, that's a whole different question. But all I'm proposing is that these, these are the things we should be discussing. We shouldn't be discussing uh, some of the old archaic, you know, like pro-choice versus pro-life. I mean, I think that's, already like an almost muted subject because it's quite old school. Like we have mm -hmm. some very real challenges that Congress should be tackling. Artificial intelligence. You know, one of the articles I've written is, do, do we teach artificial intelligence religion? Um, do, you know, and not only religion, um, what if you, your daughter wants to marry a robot in the 10, 15 years because that AI is smarter than the, the guy down, the cute boy down the street or something like that right. who my daughter wants. And that that's a very real possibility. Maybe the robot makes more money or maybe the robot can provide a better livelihood for my daughter. I mean, I have two kids. This is this is where we start getting to really a, a very fun phase, but very challenging because transhumanism really is taking all the institutions and overturning them. And it's going to make us look at things totally different. Yeah, and some things in your document documentary um, from what you just pointed out, make this really interesting because when you, when it comes to like recreating people, uh, there, I, I, and it was called mind files, I think where you can upload thoughts and things about themselves, like people about themselves in a, you know, in, in a computer and then for possible recreation in the future. And then also you spoke about having, uh, sex and virtual reality, you know, with someone who <laughs> wasn't your wife. When you talked about that, that was so funny. I was like, Zoltan, all right. But uh... well, and that's yeah, that's the stuff that's really dangerous. Back, I wrote a in really interesting article for Vice on the future of infidelity because you know is is it <laughs> if you look at porn, let's say nobody thinks you're cheating, but if you're in virtual reality and you're with uh, just say a created program, is that cheating? Well, now I'm searching. What if it's another person that in you know, you know, there are these degrees of what we consider to be reality. And at some point, technology changes that. It moves the goalpost. And all of a sudden, we start asking ourselves, well, 
I guess I don't want my wife doing that to me. Maybe I don't want to, I shouldn't be doing it to her, even mm -hmm. though it's not a real person. It's just ones and zeros in some hard drive and computer. However, it has an effect, you know, in, in our, in our real daily lives. And, um, you know, but, but there's all these interesting complications and I'm not saying it's good or bad. What I'm saying is that I've experienced a little bit of it. I, I didn't do that. I didn't go very far, <laughs> uh, but it, it's very challenging uh, in, in itself because, um, you know, everyone's sort of, it, it, no one's been here yet. No one knows how to react to these things. This is all brand new territory. Yeah, definitely. It kind of makes you think if Black Mirror is, if we're predicting things or if Black Mirror is making episodes based on shit that we already have. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Black Mirror is great because they, they kind of cover all these things. Yeah. Um, and I know we don't have much time left, but I just, I really wanted to tell you that while we were talking about, um, you know, the end of life being an issue, and that's, that's kind of a basis for religion, that uh, your father actually, and sorry for your loss in the documentary, but um, when he said, you asked him if he was worried about death, and he said it was, when you get to the point where he was, it was more of a solution than um, a problem, like a, a solution to the problem. I thought that was just genius, and I just, I respect that a lot. And he seemed, he seemed like a great guy. Yeah, no, I mean, it's tough. I think one thing I'm noticing in myself, I don't really talk about this much, but as I get older, my own drive for life and to live indefinitely is being challenged by the fact that my body is just not as excited about life because, you know, I wake up, my back hurts, I, the kids, you know, kick me, I have a, you know, a hernia or something like that. And that's very challenging because I know rationally that I want to try to overcome death and live as long as possible. And, but I think as you get older, there is a genetic component to accepting the end is coming. And that makes it very hard. That's why a lot of, um, you know, the life extension transhumanist community is quite spread out between age groups. A lot of the younger people want robotic arms and they want like amazing different kinds of cyborg parts where a lot of the older people are really trying to create something in their brain that makes them want to live indefinitely and also be able to do that. And, you know, my dad is at a point after he, he died from his fifth heart attack. So he'd had four heart attacks before that. And he was just like, I am ready to go. And, you know, I think a lot of older people after a whole lifetime um, are like that. And so one of my goals is always to try to convince people that they want to try to fight on. But, you know, if you're a secular person like my father was, there's no reason to fight on you. Going out in a good manner which is very Asian, actually, you know, there, I, I studied a lot of Taoism and uh, Buddhism in school and having a good death is very important for a lot of people. And I think my father felt that way, too. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, let's see here. I did want to bring up before we end here that uh, I know you got that chip put in your hand and I was wondering how you've used that since you got it put in or if it's become a significant part of your life at all. Yeah, sure. It's a tiny thing. It's about the size of a grain of rice. You inject it uh -huh. through like a horse syringe. So it's a little bit bigger than normal syringe. But, you know, I use it to open my front door. And it's funny because I just got a new car. But the, just like last time I got a new car, because uh, I've had it now five years, they say that, you know, you can use it to start your car. It's really, really simple. You just mm -hmm. kind of get the right device, put it to your ignition. And you don't need a key. The problem, though, is that avoids the theft warranty on the car because it's such brand new technology. So if you, if you do that, then you, 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 you know, your car gets stolen. They're, they can't find it or for, they're, you're not, they're not responsible for it. So there are all these little things that it can do. It does an amazing amount of things. I like can trade Bitcoin on it, but unfortunately um, 
it's not always the most useful because of other laws and other systems. And for example, Apple, it doesn't work on an Apple phone. They've made it very specific that they don't want that NDA technology to be part of the iPhone kind of universe, wow. uh, whereas it works pretty well on an Android. But this is, so it, it's funny because it, it's all about technology. Maybe one day a big giant company will get into it and, and let it out, you know, let it go worldwide. But right now it seems like the technology, like anything in the marketplace, is battling for its own survival. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jeez, that is crazy. Well, what are you most excited about in technology right now? Like what's going on that the, that normal people, let's just say a Gen Z college student in Iowa might not know about? What's going on? Well, I, I think the, the most, uh, the, the coolest thing that's probably going on, well, there's two things. The first one is like we talked about earlier about brain implants. Like that, that's a super fun thing. The idea that you and I might be able to do this podcast in five or seven years um, just through our brains. Mm-hmm. That would be really fun and, <laughs> and simple too. And, and probably cheaper in the end because you don't have to keep getting your phones or whatnot. But, you know, I think the one that's really a lot of Gen Z people might not realize is that exoskeleton technology uh, is, is this idea you put on these kind of robotic suits like Iron Man, but they really come a long way. And about 30% of Americans have mobility issues. So there's a real commercial value to bringing um, exoskeleton technology so older people or disabled people can walk and be completely like mobile. And um, But what people don't realize is that the technology is getting so good that we're going to start doing things like playing tennis in it or we're going to start running marathons in it. And as I wrote in my New York Times article, you know, there's people trying to work on exoskeleton technology that allows you to run so fast that you could run on water. Uh, I think if you run 57 miles per hour, you actually can run on water like a lizard. You may have seen like National Geographic. That is insane. So this is this is now you're starting to talk almost religious because it's like, what do you mean I'm running on water? But yes, you can run marathons on on a lake. And and then it brings in all these brand new sporting events, like complete transhumanist Olympics, brand new ideas of ways to do athletic things that we've never talked about. Or even an 80 year old now being able to climb Mount Everest because they have power you know, uh, this technology powered skeleton that allows them to carry their body up. So really we're talking about a huge new way to do things. You know, when you go to run and you cover five miles, you're like, wow, I ran five miles, but the exoskeleton might allow you to run like 50 miles in the same hour span. And, you know, that's a very different sport. Now you're actually like sightseeing because 50 miles. So this is one of the things I think Gen Z people are really going to embrace is this idea that you know, they can play football or soccer or even swimming with these things, um, you know, that in a way that's much more radical than we've ever seen before in terms of sports. Yeah. And I think that is a great way that you can maybe intrigue more conservatives into transhumanism is talk about what it'll bring to the economy and, you know, what kind of profits it'll bring since that's so important and uh, all of that. that. That could be a decent, I mean, I'm sure you're aware, but that could be a good talking point. Um, for sure. And then I promise this is my last question. What can we as young people do? Like what initiative can we take to help either spread this movement or just make this more, I don't know, um, intertwined in our lives and like to help you? Well, I think, you know, the best thing to help uh, the transhumanist movement as a whole is really to just Google what it is and to start discovering, you know, a lot of universities have futurist or transhumanist uh, kind of groups on campus. There's a lot of, you know, my, I'm lucky that my novel, The Transhumanist Wager, is now being taught in, I think, 50 high schools across America. Uh, you know, there, so you, there's also 100 Facebook groups, and they're all different. I mean, some are like socialist transhumanism, some are like, uh, you know, libertarian transhumanism, 
Some are like purely based on the science of life extension biology. Some are more artificial intelligence. You know, mm -hmm. Transhumanist is this great giant umbrella organization, not organization, but movement. It really encompasses a lot of different types of thinking into it. And so whatever your, your passion is, uh, just Google it and follow that and see how far you go down the rabbit hole. And of course, you know, always feel free to start meetups. There's a lot of transhumanists in a lot of cities. Like when I campaigned on my bus, we were able to put on, you know, 50, 100 person rallies pretty much everywhere we went because mm -hmm. there are a lot of trans people that are interested in science. And even if you're not a transhumanist, you might just be a science lover, you know? So it, it's like, there, there's just a lot of crossover. And so just join, just join. And, and when I say join, there's really, the great thing about transhumanism, it's kind of like environmentalism. It's totally decentralized. It's really just a commitment to science and technology. And the most important advice I have for young people is if you really are into, interested in it, study something about it. Study something with electrical engineering. Study the sciences. Study genetic entities. Study artificial intelligence. Go into those fields, cybersecurity, whatever it is. Go into those fields that are going to be there in 10, 20 years at the very forefront of the movement. Because I'm not sure accounting or being a lawyer or, you know, uh, those things are going to survive given automation. But I do know one thing. We're going to need cybersecurity experts. We're going to need AI experts. We're going to need more uh, biologists and genetic editing people and all these other stuff. That's really where the future is. So if you're in, if you have a possibility of restudying or those things, go down those, those roads. Those, you'll be thankful. You'll remember in 20 years, say, I'm so glad I became an engineer. I'm so glad I became a medical doctor because there will, that will be the forefront of the movement. Well, shit. Now I have to do my entire bachelor's degree over. I have one year left. My finance major is screwed, huh? Yeah, the finance might be around, but you're going to need a brain implant for a while. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, everyone, make sure you check out Zoltan Ishvan's documentary, Immortality or Bust. It's on Amazon for $3.99. HD is $4.99. That's what I did. Not that it matters. But um, yeah, any other notes? No, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks again for your time.